He's Hacker. So much so that I had to ask around. I'm like, hey, I'm kind of a nice guy, right? Hacker is an ass. I try as I'm getting into my old age at 39 years old. Try not to let things bother me. Just know that I'm ultra soft. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. See Baker Mayfield throw four passes. <laughs> but I get to see this homeless guy return a ball for oh, a touchdown. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us to close out the week. Go into the holiday weekend and the Jacksonville Jaguars find themselves in an absolutely enormous game on Sunday afternoon against their in-state brethren, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. As you can imagine, we're going to look at this game pretty much from every angle. Tonight here on Hacker After Dark, coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, Tyler Sullivan, who does a terrific job covering the National Football League for CBSSports.com. I've had Tyler on for years. He's certainly one of my favorites. We'll get Tyler on to talk Jaguars, AFC South, and more. And past the bottom of the 8 o'clock hour, my guy Zig Fricasi, Sirius XM NFL Radio. We will have Zig on to look at the AFC playoff picture, talk the Jaguar three-game losing streak and more, as it is all Jaguars pretty much all the time here in hour number one tonight on Hacker After Dark. As we do every night to kick it off here on HAD, we give you a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. Well, I don't know who you can compare him to at this point. You keep knocking him down and he just keeps getting back up, right? You think he's gone and done. Nope. Just keeps getting up. And that, of course, is Jaguar quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Last year, his leg was bent backwards in Detroit. Did not miss one game. This year, hurts his knee on a Sunday. Comes back 96 hours later to play on a Thursday night. Then is absolutely crushed and can barely walk to the locker room against Cincinnati. Plays six days later against Cleveland. And now here we are, five days removed from a concussion, still in the protocol, but was at practice today. And according to Doug Peterson, there's a better than a coin flip chance that he is going to play Sunday in Tampa. You simply cannot keep Trevor Lawrence down. I've been critical of Trevor's performance this week. I will never be critical of Trevor's toughness or dedication. He has proven that he is a tough dude. He has proven that it means a lot to him. And for that, you can never question Trevor Lawrence. It is an enormous game for Jacksonville. And it is such a crazy scenario based on what happens with three ball games on Sunday. The Jaguars play at 4 o'clock. They will know about Indianapolis and Houston before they take the field. If Houston loses to Cleveland, plausible. If Indy loses at Atlanta, plausible. And if Jacksonville beats Tampa Bay, 
the Jacksonville Jaguars are division champions, essentially, after Sunday. It would take an unbelievable turn of events to not be division champions. But if Jacksonville loses their game and Indy and Houston win their game for the first time in two months, two and a half months, the Jaguars will find themselves looking up at somebody in the division. It's crazy, man. It is crazy how differing the views of this team are going to be based on three different outcomes on Sunday. But this is what makes it great. This is what makes it fun. I much rather have this than have what Tennessee's going through right now or Washington or the Jets or any of the teams that have meaningless games. This three-game losing streak has been rough. It's been bad. But Jacksonville has very important games on Sunday. Very important games to watch on the scoreboard, and that is a heck of a lot better than the alternative right now to be playing out the stretch knowing the postseason is already out of reach. What will happen? I think Jacksonville is going to win the game. I told you guys that last night. I think the Jaguars are going to find a way to go to Tampa, Florida and win a football game. The Buccaneers are red hot. The Jaguars are ice cold. Bucks have won three in a row. Jags have lost three in a row. Bucks are at home. Everything. As a football fan, a football media member, points to Tampa Bay winning this game. I think Jacksonville is going to win. And no, that's not me being positive guy. I'm not positive guy when it comes to the Jaguars. Although Denmark, I had this thought, and I might put this on a poll question on Twitter slash X on Sunday. Because it is Christmas Eve on Sunday, should I only tweet joyful things regarding the Jaguars? Nah, be you. You think I should be my normal self despite it being Christmas Eve? Uh, I don't think people would like uh, you being joyful on a Christmas Eve during the game. They, right. they, want, they want to see you. They want the fabric that is Hacker. They want the, the persona. Yeah. That is Hacker. All right, fair enough. I'll got probably a lot do of PR that. PR this week, so th- I think they want to keep it going. I did get a lot of PR this week. There's no doubt about that. People said some amazing things about me on social media, too. Just shocking things. Things they wanted me to do to my mother. I mean, it was a crazy week for some of the things that people were telling me to do. Craziness. But I love it. It's all part of the game, all part of the conversation. It's what makes sports radio terrific. Love me or hate me, as long as you're listening to me, I guess it really doesn't matter, right? We are absolutely loaded, guest lineup was. Again, Zig Fricasse, Sirius XM, NFL Radio. He is about 35 minutes away. Coming up next, Tyler Sullivan, CBSSports.com. I will tell you, Little Hack is in the building. He is making the rounds. He is shaking hands and kissing babies here at the 1010XL Studios. We have an appointment to pick up his grandparents from the airport this evening after the show. Perhaps I'll give Little Hack a live mic here in a moment. I'm still debating that, depending on if he's good and behaving himself in the other room. But we shall see. It is a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida. Happy holidays to all of you. Christmas three days away. It is a great time of year. Hopefully the Jaguars give us something to be joyous about. And by the way... We will be here for a fifth quarter. That's right. Are you kidding me? Who needs rest and relaxation on Christmas Eve? No siree. When you're sitting around the fire singing Christmas carols, drinking eggnog, 
waiting for old St. Nick to come down that chimney. You can tune on 1010XL at 92.5 FM Sunday night, roughly from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock, and you'll get myself and you'll get head coach Dave Campo. And as I asked the football gods last night, we have been here for two fifth quarters from 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. in the last three weeks. We've had to talk about losses in both of those fifth quarters. Can you do me a freaking favor and let me talk about a victory on Christmas Eve? My needs are small. But regardless, Campo and I will be here for you. Jaguar Nation, Sunday night, fifth quarter. We're looking forward to it. Tyler Sullivan, CBSSports.com, talking Jags, AFC South, and more. That's next. Hacker After Dark on a Friday night. And as always, Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Buccaneers, Sunday at 4 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on your home of the Jacksonville Jaguars 1010XL. Jacksonville 8-6, and six, Tampa Bay 7-7 seven and seven in what is a very important game for both teams. With that being said, let me welcome in Tyler Sullivan, CBSSports.com. Does a terrific job covering the National Football League, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Tyler, how you doing? Good. What's going on? Hey, Tyler, appreciate the time, man. I know you're busy this time of year, and uh, boy, the last time you and I talked, things were a lot different for the Jaguars. They were in the midst of a good winning streak, and now Tyler, they've lost three in a row, and they are hanging on to the AFC South by a thread. What's your thought on the struggles of the Jaguars right now? Yeah, like you said, you know, the the script has been flipped dramatically with this Jaguars team. It was a team that I thought going into the year had a real shot to take a, a dramatic leap. Obviously, they're still in first place, fairly by a thread, as you noted. But I thought that this team was going to be a little bit further along than what we saw. Like we talked about during that winning streak, you had a defense that was kind of bailing out the offense at certain times. And now you're seeing the offense continue to kind of, I don't want to say regress, but certainly struggle in key areas and key points in a game. So for me, looking at this skid and looking at the Jaguars in a totality, to me, I put a lot of it on the offense and I still have a lot of questions about what that's going to look like in these high-pressure games. And as you noted, this game coming up on Sunday is effectively a playoff game. You have Jacksonville clinging to the AFC South lead. You have Tampa Bay fending off the rest of the NFC South to try to maintain their first-place position in the division. They're going to give you everything they got. So to me, this is as big of a Week 16 game as you can find. You know, unfortunately, Tyler, there's been a lot of rock-bottom moments for the Jaguars this year. They were awful against San Francisco. You could even argue they were awful against Houston at home back in week three. But this past Sunday night, look, you lose to Cincinnati 34-31 in overtime. All right. You go to Cleveland. You don't play very well. You lose 31-27. All right. Baltimore, I don't even think Baltimore played particularly well for their standards in yet a 23-7 game, and it really didn't even feel like it was that close Boy, the Jaguars have a lot of rebounding to do because last Sunday night against the Ravens was not good. That's the thing, too. And it, it was a big spot, obviously, for the organization, for the franchise, having on Sunday night football in their building. And, and to me, you're shut out in the first half. 
when it got to 10 nothing it felt like it was 30 to nothing for whatever reason it just felt like it was so much in so much more insurmountable than a 10 nothing lead typically should be and obviously we all know what happened at the end of the first half there it, just the the miscommunication the the lack of awareness to whether or not spike the football to stop the clock or try to catch the ravens off guard to try to get a scoring play that ball that Trevor Lawrence threw needed to be in the end zone. It couldn't, it could not come anywhere before the goal line because of what was going to potentially happen, happened. You, you complete the pass, you run out of time. And all of a sudden what was looked to be a promising drive where you could at least take some momentum going into the second half, you're going away with zero points and you're questioning yourself going into the break. So to, to me, that's a, a huge execution, lack of awareness, whatever you want to call that. That's a that's a big problem for this team. It's kind of spurned them over the last few weeks here. And, and you've referenced it a little bit there too. Baltimore, certainly a Super Bowl contender. You look at these little pockets in the season and, and not every game is the same. There, there are certain litmus test games that you can look to to say, okay, how do we stack up against X opponent? I thought that this Sunday night game was one of them, and they failed the test. And we kind of go through the season here, week two against Kansas City, you lose that game. Week 10 against San Francisco, you lose that game. And not only are they losing these games, but they're not scoring 10 points. They're scoring in the single digits in those games. That's concerning to me. Trevor Lawrence is certainly a worldly talented quarterback, has all the skill set in the world, but he still needs to kind of find that consistency, not just with him, but the entire offense. And I think Christian Kirk going down certainly put a thorn in their sides of the last few weeks in particular. Tyler Sullivan of CBSSports.com. Yeah, you alluded to Kansas City, San Francisco, and Baltimore. Their three biggest home games of the year. They're 0-3, and they scored a combined one touchdown in 12 quarters, which was the Lawrence touchdown pass to Agnew this past Sunday night. So it has not been good and you compound that with the AFC South with the Texans and the Colts playing that much better we'll get to those two in a moment quickly to Trevor Lawrence Tyler you've covered this league for a while man I mean your thoughts on Trevor he's coming into the end of year three now he's in concussion protocol which complicates things this week we'll have to see if he's going to go on Sunday or not Uh, but what you've seen from Trevor to this point in his career I mean where are you with Trevor Lawrence right now yeah, no, you know, I think it's interesting because we're talking about a quarterback that's in year three, but you, you almost got to throw out the rookie year. I mean, we've talked about it a bunch over the years. The Urban Meyer year just almost feels like a throwaway for the young guy. And we thought that this year, like we were referencing earlier, could almost be that year two leap, even though it's year three because he's in his second year in the system with Doug Peterson. You're kind of hoping to see him jump into that Joe Burrow Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson into that pantheon of elite quarterbacks in the AFC. And he still just hasn't quite hit it there. I I said it earlier. I think he's extremely talented. I think he can make every throw that there is on the football field. And it looks good doing it. I mean, it's not like he has to work too hard. It's almost like he can just flick it and it goes wherever he wants it to. But it doesn't happen on a consistent basis. That, to me, is still the biggest thing for him. Even in that game against Baltimore, there were some throws there that he could have had, and he's made them a time or two. I've watched him quite a bit. He's been able to make some throws, but then there's other times where you're scratching your head saying, wow, how'd you you miss him on that one? It felt like the timing just seems a bit off. And, and, uh, yeah, of course – 
you know, you lose a guy like Christian Kirk, who is a huge, huge security blanket for him. Still hasn't really gotten on the same page with Calvin Ridley. You saw Jamal Agnew coming back. I think that's big for them going forward. But I just think there's a lack of inconsistency there with Trevor Lawrence right now that I would like to see polished up before we could start kind of putting him in that pantheon of those elite quarterbacks, or at least having that discussion right now. I think you're kind of in that second tier or whatever you want to call it right there with Justin Herbert in Los Angeles. And you'd say same kind of thing, super talented, can do everything that you would want a quarterback to be able to do on the football field. But for whatever reason, there's just that lack of consistency that often puts his team behind the eight ball. So again, I still like the promise of Trevor Lawrence. I still think he's a guy that certainly you build your franchise around, but there needs to be another leap that he takes over this final stretch. And obviously going forward into year four, a couple of more for Tyler Sullivan of CBS sports.com Tyler, the NFL comes at you pretty quick. You know, three weeks ago, the Jaguars were eight and three and all was right with the world. Tampa Bay was going nowhere, and Todd Bowles was on the hot seat. Now fast forward to present day, and coming up here on Christmas Eve, the Jaguars are ice cold, Tampa Bay is red hot, and all of a sudden this game down in Tampa, Florida Sunday afternoon is a gigantic one for the Buccaneers. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, like I said, this is a playoff game. It really is. I mean, this is one for Jacksonville where you need to stop the bleeding, and if you're Tampa Bay, you want to keep the good times rolling. I mean, if if Mike Evans and Baker Mayfield can continue to do what they're doing, scoring at the rate that they're scoring, and obviously Chris Godwin started to pick up the pace last week, it's going to be a tough out for this team going to Tampa. But I do still have a little bit of confidence in Jacksonville. I know that we're you know kind of all doom and gloom right now, but I do think that there is still a positive outlook here. Now, obviously, this is the caveat. We have to see what happens with Trevor Lawrence. He's in concussion protocol. If he doesn't play in this game, you know, yeah, obviously it changes the entire narrative of how we look at this. But if he's able to suit up, I still like the pieces that Jacksonville has in place. I love the pieces that they have on defense. I think they're going to be able to run the football against this Tampa Bay team. So I do still think that they have a puncher's chance in this game. But if Trevor Lawrence is out, you're walking into a buzzsaw with a ton of momentum in the Buccaneers. And look, Tyler, I mean, I'm not going to say things that are crazy here. The Jaguars have a much better chance of winning with Trevor. The one thing I will say, though, and Collinsworth made note of this on Sunday Night Football, and I thought it was a great point. Trevor sometimes doesn't take the five-yard down and out that's there. He wants the 25-yard seam that gets incomplete or intercepted. If you have C.J. Beathard in there on Sunday, he's going to take the five-yard down and out. It's not going to be a sexy offense, but I I do wonder if Trevor needs to miss a game. Hopefully he doesn't, but if he needs to miss a game, Beathard's the kind of guy, remembering him from San Francisco, again, not flashy, but maybe the Jaguars don't need flashy. The Jaguars might just need the guy that'll take the five-yard check down, down the field, and ultimately keep the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands. No, no, it's a great point. And, you know, it really is. And that's something that I remember Tom Brady talking about. Obviously, up here in New England, I've covered that team quite a bit during his heyday as well. And that's something that he almost had to have a mental hurdle to get past to say, you know, yeah, sometimes the best play is just to dump it off to a guy like Rex Burkhead, Shane Vereen, James White, all those guys in yesteryear. And obviously, you know, any time of those slot receivers in New England, 
Wes Welker, Troy Brown, Julian Edelman, those were the guys that were really the bread and butter for Tom Brady, as much as we talk about Gronkowski, Moss, and in the kind of the more sexy aspects of those offenses. And I think that that's something that, you know, you can look at with Trevor Lawrence and say, yeah, no, sometimes it doesn't need to be the deep shot 50-50 ball to Calvin Ridley down the field. Maybe there's a better play to be had over the middle of the field or somewhere in the flat, and you just put the ball in the hands of one of your skill position players to go make a play. And so maybe that does change with C.J. Beathard coming in because there's not that much, you know, I, I don't want I don't know if it's it's confidence, if it's a cockiness in your ability, but tre- he, he doesn't, he knows he can't make the throws that Trevor Lawrence can make on a football field. There's not that much confidence in there as well. So yeah, you are a little bit more prone to be a little bit more conservative, which in turn, could help them in this type of situation. So, yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for that. And if Trevor Lawrence is seeing that on the sidelines, again, we want him to play in this game. It gives them the best chance to win. But maybe there is something to be said for to, for him to see how you can play a different way and maybe a little bit more efficiently. Final moments, Tyler Sullivan of CBSSports.com. Tyler, what's in with the AFC South? That is completely up for grabs. Boy, you talk about Coach of the Year candidates I would think Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryans are both very high on that list. Steichen has done it with a backup quarterback, not having Jonathan Taylor a majority of the time. D'Amico Ryans has obviously done it with a rookie and C.J. Stroud. But here we are, three teams at 8-6. and six. The Jaguars hold the tiebreakers. But right now, the AFC South is anybody's ballgame. Yeah, it's wide open. The thing that Jacksonville can at least hang its hat on is that they do have some of the tiebreakers. Houston and Indianapolis do have to play each other down the stretch here. Now, the one thing that you got to keep an eye on here, obviously division record, conference record, and things like that. So that's going to be a factor here. You already have the season sweep of the Indianapolis Colts. You, you split the season series with the Houston Texans. So if all of a sudden Indy's able to upset Houston, well, then that certainly helps you. You might have to pinch your nose a little bit, become an Indianapolis fan for a weekend. But ultimately, I do think that the path is there for still for Jacksonville to ultimately win this division. If they can get past Tampa Bay and that and then again, that you know, th- there's a bunch of circumstances that we talked about that make that difficult. They're playing great. Trevor Lawrence is in concussion protocol. But if they're able to come out of Tampa Bay with a win, you look at the final two games, you're facing a Carolina team at home that's the worst team in the NFL. You're facing a Tennessee Titans team that is going nowhere fast in, in Nashville in Week 18. So the path is there to at least sweep the final two games, and if you get Trevor Lawrence and everybody back and everybody's cooking, you have a puncher's chance, obviously, in Week 16 as well. So I, I like their chances to possibly run the table with everyone healthy, and certainly – the final two weeks as well. So, you know, from a strength of schedule standpoint, there's a lot to like about the Jaguars, how they can kind of finish this season on a more positive note. But if all of a sudden you start to kind of stumble here and and you, and you slip up, then yeah, no, you're going to have not only the AFC South race determined, but as you pointed to the coach of the year candidacy for both Shane Steichen and D'Amico Ryans could be made if one of those coaches can lift their teams up to an AFC South title. Yeah, if the Jaguars don't win the division, they're going to be in trouble making the playoffs because Cleveland has a tiebreaker over them. Cincinnati has a tiebreaker over them, so it might be division or nothing for the Jaguars. Tyler, final question. The AFC as a whole. You know, this isn't the days of Brady and the Patriots or Manning and the Colts or even Mahomes and the Chiefs of recent year. 
to me, the AFC is wide open, man. I mean, when you think about who could be hoisting that Lamar Hunt trophy in about a month's time, month and a half's time, well, you could see four or five different teams hoisting that thing, could you not? It's so true, and it's funny. You know, I was writing a story last night, and, you know, we were looking over the Super Bowl odds, and one of the funniest things is that the Buffalo Bills have, like, the seventh best odds to win the Super Bowl. They're not even in the playoffs as it stands right now. They're the number nine seed in the AFC, but still the odds makers look at them as a team that if they get in, they're dangerous. And I think that's a testament to what you were talking about is that this conference is wide open. Kansas City's not what they used to be. Certainly their wide receivers are just an absolute mess right now. Baltimore is probably the class of the conference, but I still have a lot of questions about them. They just lost their rookie running back. Obviously don't have Mark Andrews. You know, Miami, I, I, the home road splits to me are the big concern. And if all of a sudden Buffalo does make a run and, and takes them in the division, that puts them in a really bad spot. So, you know, I, I look at Baltimore as the team I guess I feel most confident in. They were my preseason pick to come out of the AFC and go to the Super Bowl. So I'll stick with that because I like their defense. I like the way Lamar Jackson's playing at the moment. And beyond that, I mean, we're talking about a lot of teams that have backup quarterbacks. We talk about teams that are kind of on a downward skid, like we're talking about with Jacksonville and Kansas City and Miami. The home road splits, Tyree Kill's a little banged up right now. I just don't have a lot of faith, or I don't want to put a lot of stock in them at the moment right now. So to me, it's Baltimore, but don't sleep on Buffalo either. There's a reason why there's a bunch of casinos in Vegas, and they know a little bit more than I do. So having them so high as a Super Bowl contender, even though they're out of the playoffs, tends has me believing that they're about to make a run. Tyler Sullivan does a terrific job covering the NFL for CBSSports.com, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Tyler, happy holidays. Happy New Year. We'll do it again around playoff time. Sounds great. Happy holidays. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Buccaneers on Sunday at 4 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL in what is an enormous game for both teams. Jacksonville at 8-6, Tampa Bay at 7-7, seven seven, both team division leaders, but holding on by a thread both teams definitely need this one on Sunday. With that, let me welcome in my buddy Zig Fricasse. You hear him on Sirius XM NFL Radio, and he's always kind enough to give us some time here in the city of Jacksonville. Zig, how we doing? Heck, I'm doing well, my man. Hope you and yours and all the listeners down there are going to have a good holiday season. Hey, Zig, we certainly appreciate that. And, uh, boy, the season was going very well for the Jaguars, 8-3, <laughs> and three, and things were awesome. And good gracious, Zig, three losses in a row, and Jacksonville finds themselves now not only worrying about the division, but quite frankly, worrying about just getting into the playoffs. Yeah, it was uh, rather alarming. I thought they had things going, especially after they had uh, come off the 49ers game where they got drubbed at home, so they had the two straight wins there. And then we found out about Cincinnati, you know, not having any quit or any, you know, uh, sort of a negative aspect because uh, Jake Browning had come on for Joe Burrow. We see how good Browning has been for them. So that was a tough loss. And then against Cleveland, you know, Lawrence was compromised. You could tell he was favoring that ankle a little bit, had the three bad interceptions. They did have the three touchdowns for sure, but 
Um, maybe that was one of those games where the score really wasn't as close as I as the final turned out. And then against the Ravens, my gosh, you know the you know miss, missed opportunities. Granted, Baltimore I think is a Super Bowl caliber team, but to lose three straight games like that against teams that are going to be or in the playoff mix. That doesn't pretend well for them, so they got to get well this week against the Buccaneers. Yeah, they need to. They're running out of time. Indianapolis and Houston are right on their tails. We'll get to them in a moment. Zig, a lot of people are talking about the injuries down here, and that's fair, right? I mean, they are injured. Trevor's in the protocol. Kirk is out. Zay Jones is likely out. But everybody in the league right now has injuries. I mean, Houston went into Tennessee last week without Nico Collins and Tank Dell and Will Anderson yep. and C.J. Stroud, and they won a huge division game on the road. Injuries are not really an excuse for the Jaguars, in my opinion. No, I agree with you, and that's the thing. You know, you hate to use the saying, and it's kind of trite, to be honest, next man up, but it's one of those things where it's got to work out right for you. And in Houston's case, obviously, uh, with Keenum being a veteran quarterback, that game – they were losing for the most part, but then they were able to find their resolve, get the late tying touchdown, and then ultimately win it in overtime. So that was a good win uh, for them, and that just goes to show. I mean, looking at some of these other numbers, uh, the penalties with the Jags have been uh, problematic. What did I see? 13 offensive penalties accepted, six turnovers the last few weeks by the Jags. So ball security in addition to uh, injuries and everything like that, this is a growing pains time for the Jags, so I'm going to be curious to see what ultimately happens here. And again, you know, it's one of those things where uh, are they confident enough to be able to pick up, you know, with if Trevor doesn't wind up to play. Zig Fracassi of SiriusXM NFL Radio. Zig, you've covered the league for a while, man. How does a team get out of a slump like this? It's almost like it's mental for the Jaguars. They're in the red zone and they're turning it over. They're all of a sudden missing field goals that they weren't doing a majority of the year. Things just are not going the way. Their ball is not bouncing their way. How can they get that back beginning on Sunday? You know, that's a good question. I think it's just one of those things where they have to simplify uh, their approach here because you know you're going to be facing an opponent in Tampa they also have playoff aspirations. They're tied for the lead in the NFC South, so you know that the urgency meter figures to be there as well. So you're going to have to match that. And like we talked about here, eliminate the turnovers, eliminate the mistakes. So from that aspect, even if you are shorthanded, Hack, you know, if you cut down the penalties and you've matched the urgency, then I think the Jags have a, de a decent chance to win this ball game. But the focus has to be there, and they got to have their veteran leaders step up and say, all right, you know, the ship is not sinking here. We still have ownership of our division, so keep it positive, keep it light throughout, minimize the mistakes, minimize the turnovers. That's where I think they have a chance to win on Sunday, even if Trevor doesn't play. Zig, you mentioned Tampa Bay. Three weeks ago, Todd Bowles was on the hot seat. People were ready to send Baker down the road and put Kyle Trask in. And lo and behold, here we are three weeks later. They've won three in a row. They're 7-7. Seven and seven. They control their own destiny in the NFC South. Why has Tampa, in your opinion, been able to turn this thing around? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, it's first of all, it's a bad division. It's probably one of the worst divisions there is. 
you know, and their three-game winning streak, it, it's come against Carolina, who's the worst team in the league. Uh, Atlanta, who I think should be better than what they are, but still they've had inconsistencies with the quarterback position. And then they went into Lambeau, and I thought that was a, a hell of a game for them, even though Baker got sacked five times. I think he was the first quarterback ever. And think about that fact, uh, to post a perfect passer rating at Lambeau Field. So I think the fact that Mayfield has played as well as they did as he has, Mike Evans is still an effective wide receiver, as is Godwin. So they still have component pieces uh, from their recent Super Bowl and playoff team. So I think that's one thing. Again, the bad divisions, another uh, taking advantage of some you know poor opposition. So that's where Tampa is right now. I mean, they had they had a four game losing streak at one point, and it was six out of seven. But amazingly, at seven and seven, uh, they're still in the mix. So I think it's just been opportunism, and that the fact Baker probably played some of the best ball of his career is why they're still in it. A couple of more from my buddy Zig Fercasi, Sirius XM NFL Radio. Zig, at the time you and I are talking, we still do not know about Trevor Lawrence. He is still in the protocol. Some quarterbacks can get out of it in seven days. We've seen that, I think, a couple of times with Derek Carr. Some guys miss a couple of games, as it appears C.J. Stroud is going to miss his yep. second game in a row. So you never really know with concussion protocol – but if it is C.J. Beathard, he's a veteran. He hasn't played much, but he has started, I think, 12 or 13 games in the league. And this is the year, Zig, of the backup quarterback, man. I mean, <laughs> can you put your finger on why the Gardner Minshews and the Jake Brownings and the Case Keenums and the Joe Flaccos are, and the Drew Locke on Monday night? I mean, why are these backups coming in and having so much success? Well, it's partly the fact that uh... – you know, there's been so many injuries around the NFL. And, again, we could go back to the fact that you're playing, uh, you know, games on Thursday night and the fact that that increases chances of injuries, including your starting quarterback. So uh, it puts a premium on that position. And then, you know, you're looking at uh, some guys like a Drew Locke, for example, who are hungry. They had starting experience before but weren't able to sustain it. So, I just think it comes down, in that particular instance, too, Philadelphia slumping. Uh, their defense has been horrendous the last three or four games. Injuries in the secondary, so it's all, I think, excuse me, heck, all timing. But uh, to me, it's rather alarming to have all these uh, backup quarterbacks uh, having to play in the NFL. I think it puts an emphasis on player safety, for one. I think it puts an emphasis, too, on, you know, at times poor line play. I think it also says that the the league might want to reconsider. I don't know if, if they would do the expense of an NFL Europe, but some kind of developmental league where you could have quarterbacks play in systems to be more ready for games. Because you always hear the adage, "Well, how many reps does a uh, you know a backup quarterback get in practice? Little to none." Well, at some point, that's got to change too. So. I think it's just a compounding thing of factors. Poor line play at times, the compressed schedule, having to play on Thursdays contributes to more of these injuries. And I think in the final analysis, that's why we're seeing uh, quarterbacks, uh, you know, more backup quarterbacks having to play. And I think that's maybe a message to the league. You know, maybe you want to reinvent the NFL Europe or developmental league this way, more guys would be on the ready if they had to play. Yeah, the irony is the league does so much to protect quarterbacks, and we complain about it. Yet, despite that, quarterbacks are dropping like flies around the league. 
despite how right. protected they are by officials. Uh, Zig, look, Coach of the Year candidates, obviously, we know the names. Two of them are in the AFC South. The AFC South yeah. was thought to be the worst division in football coming into the year, and the Jaguars were going to run away with this thing. But what Shane Steichen in Indianapolis has done with a backup quarterback and with D'Amico Ryans in Houston with a rookie and now a backup quarterback, good grief, what jobs by Ryans <laughs> and Steichen this year? Yeah, I mean, you could you could flip a, a coin. I mean, make a case for either one. I mean, and, you know, both, both guys, too, first-year coaches. That's the thing. I mean, you know, in Indianapolis, you figured uh, Richardson was going to be the guy and they'd have some growing pains. He got hurt. Jonathan Taylor, your star back, had his contract issue. Then he's been hurt. You know, you let a, go, a guy like Shaq Leonard go, a very popular player. But unfortunately, as we've seen with the Eagles here, he is not the same player he used to be. So you had all the distraction and the injuries there. And in Houston, you know, let's face it, if the Texans were going to be a three, a four or five win team, and this is like my unofficial criteria for what a, a lousy team is for improving, if, if the Texans won like five or six games and then were competitive in the other, you know, 10 or 11 they lost, then you would mark that as a successful year. But with D'Amico Ryans, there are contending for a division here with a rookie quarterback, and I think their uh, offensive coordinator, Slowick, has done an absolutely terrific job. And you got to remember, too, they were banged up on the offensive line to start the season. They've had receivers go in and out of their lineup. The defense at times has been kind of shaky, although I love Jimmy Ward. I think he's a coach on the field, so... Uh, all in all here, yeah, I, I would go with either one. Or if you wanted to name co-coach of the year, I would not have a problem with either one winning that award. Final moments with Zig Fricasse of Sirius XM NFL Radio. Zig, three weeks to go. Jaguars, Texans, Colts, all eight and six. The Jaguars own the tiebreakers. It's a little complicated, too, because Indy and Houston play each other in week 18. Uh, what right. do you think? Who comes out of this division? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, let's see. You got, I would say, because you got the Browns, the Titans, and the Colts for the Texans, that could be a little bit of a rougher uh, road for them. You know, and then, uh, like you mentioned, with the uh, Texans and the Colts kind of canceling each other out, that one's uh, going to be rough. And then you've got, uh, with the Jaguars, with their remaining schedule, they've got Tampa. They've also, Tennessee could be a real pain in the butt here, too, because they're also in the mix here, but I would think the Carolina game is one they should definitely win. Uh, and then for the Colts, you've got the Falcons, Raiders, and Texans. Oof. That one's going to be tricky. I, I, I suppose if I had to go with one, um, boy, I, I'm going to ride. I'm going to ride it. Let's throw the dice here, Hack, and I'm going to go with the Indy Colts. Sorry, sorry, Jacksonville, but. I'm going to take my chances with the Colts here. Yeah, and I don't think that's crazy. I, I would still like Jacksonville based on the tiebreakers, and I'll say this, Zig. If Jacksonville is 8-3 and three, and they pull a Titans from a year ago and lose so many games at the end where they miss the playoffs entirely, someone's going to pay for that. Now, I don't think it's going to be Doug Peterson, but whether you want to talk about some coordinators or potentially a, a general manager, dare I say, you cannot go 8-3 and three in this division – and miss the playoffs entirely, right? I mean, that's going to cost somebody something. Well, and think about it, too. You're coming off a playoff year. You know, you you 
ran the table essentially the last six, seven weeks of last year. <clears throat> you had that epic comeback in the playoff game against the Chargers. I thought they played the Chiefs very well uh, in the playoffs before they lost that game. So you you would think that there should have been a, a bigger improvement this year and that Trevor Lawrence would thrive even more. But, <clears throat> excuse me, you've got a bit of a regression in his game. Plus, there's been injuries, so we know that. So, yeah, I'm not sure Doug Peterson would lose his gig. I think he's a good coach, but, you know, would you have to make changes to the staff, maybe your coordinators and such? Possibly. Uh, I think Trent Baalke's done a good job building up this roster, but again, you know, for them to regress like they did, uh, I'm with you. I wouldn't be shocked if some moves were made because more was expected out of this team, and they've been, needless to say, a bit of a roller coaster, struggling against the good teams, and beating the ones that they should, but still, uh, it's alarming some of these uh, performances as of late. Zig, final question. We got 90 seconds to go. I think you alluded yep. to it earlier. I'm never ultra positive Jaguar guy. I know you follow me on social media. <laughs> I get ripped a little bit for maybe being too negative. I think Jacksonville is going to beat Tampa. I know Tampa's hot. Okay. I know Jacksonville's ice cold. I know Jacksonville has injury problems. I've just had a gut feeling all week that Jacksonville is going to go down to Raymond James Stadium and find a way to get more points on the scoreboard than Tampa. What's your opinion on that game? Yeah, I mean, I could see it happening. I think I would feel a lot better uh, if Trevor was playing. And you also look at the hard numbers, too. As good as, you know, Tampa's been, they're a 500 team at home. And one thing Jacksonville has done is thrive on the road at 5-1. and one. So maybe it's one of those deals where getting away from you know, Duval country a little bit and uh, obviously trying to make the playoffs and everything like that. Uh, if they play like I think they can, again, minimize those turnovers, minimize the mistakes, simplify things in some spots, then I think Jacksonville does have a good chance to win the game. Zig Fricasi, Sirius XM, NFL Radio. Zig, I know you're busy, brother. Thank you for the time. Happy holidays to you and your family and a happy new year. And we'll talk again around playoff time, bud. You got it, my friend, and that son of yours, he may take your job in the next three years, so you better be on the lookout there. Little hacks getting after it, no question about it. Thank you, Zig. All right, buddy. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. National Signing Day, the December signing period. And let's head out to Mandarin High School. They had a bunch of young men signing out there this morning. And that includes Derek Plaz, the offensive lineman on his way to the University of Miami. And Derek joins us here on 1010XL. Derek, congratulations. Thank you. What a big day, man. Now, I know you and I talked in July when you committed to the U, and now here we are, right? You're a Miami Hurricane. What's that feel like tonight? Uh, it feels great to be a Miami Hurricane. It's an amazing opportunity to be a part of bringing Miami back to what it used to be. You obviously had a lot of schools after you. The recruiting process was a long one for you. Now that it's ultimately come to an end, did you enjoy the process as you reflect back? How was it for you? Uh, it was definitely a great process. It was amazing just being able to have opportunities from so many places and building so many relationships, getting insight from all different types of guys from different backgrounds. So the recruiting process was nothing short of amazing for sure. 
Derek Plaz of Mandarin on his way to Miami. Derek, what was it about the U? What led you to Coral Gables? Uh, just the coaching style. Coach Mario Cristobal and Coach Alex Mirabal, the best offensive line coaches in the country. They have a long rap sheet of success coaching that position. And then the city of Miami, it's a beautiful place to play, and there's nothing like Miami when the U is winning. And I feel like the coaching staff that we have there and the talent that we're bringing in will be back on top very soon. You and mean- I knew that's something. You mentioned Mario Cristobal, obviously a lot of Miami fans. Derek, they watch him at press conferences, right, and they're able to see him on television. They don't get that personal interaction with him like you do and like you did during this process. How would you describe Mario Cristobal? What kind of guy is he? Mario Cristobal is a very friendly guy, but when it's time to handle business, that's what he does. But just being around him on visits and just chilling around him with family, he's a he's a great family guy. He loves to build relationships with people, and, yeah, he's a really good family guy. Everybody loves Coach Cristobal. Let's talk about Mandarin. Obviously, an unbelievable run all the way to the state championship game. It did not end the way you guys wanted it to, but take us through that playoff run, four consecutive road wins you dominated the city of orlando in that process what are you going to be your biggest memories from your playoff run uh my biggest memories from the playoff run is just us every week deciding to believe in each other a lot of the games the games that we dropped earlier in the season we realized that when we turn on each other and start pointing fingers things don't go too well but when we lean on each other and believe in the guy next to us we were pretty much unstoppable. We fell short, but at the end of the day, not many teams play in the state championship. A lot of teams with the talent that we have usually fall short a little early. So it's not like a consolation prize or anything, but we can't be negative about the season we had. It's still a, a major accomplishment. A couple of more for Derek Plaz of Mandarin. He is signed with the Miami Hurricanes. Derek, when you look back at your time at Mandarin, the one year, obviously you played with some terrific guys, Tramel Jones, Jamie French. They're coming back to Mandarin to try to pick up where you guys left off. You got a couple of DBs going to Penn State. I mean, there were a ton of expectations on you guys, and you guys lived up to it. Are you satisfied? Are you happy with your time there at Mandarin High School this year? Yes, sir. I'm extremely satisfied and happy with my high school with Mandarin because transferring, it was a rough process, just trying to find the right school, not transferring just to win, but transferring for the right reasons, being around other great guys. And I know I didn't make a mistake coming over to Mandarin. Just phenomenal people from the principal, Ms. Bravo, athletic director, head coach. It's just a phenomenal program. And I have it was amazing being able to play with such talented players, the big name guys and then other guys like Tion White, just guys that everybody might not know. But it was a it was a phenomenal opportunity. Obviously, we had a great run, but it's just the relationships I was able to build at Mandarin, the advice I received heading forward into my career, it was amazing. I don't feel like I would be able to get that anywhere else. Derek, offensive tackle for you. What's the plan at Miami? Uh, probably move interior, maybe some center. Oh, so you're going to move interior. Are you excited about that? Yes, sir. Definitely excited. It's going to be a learning process, not something I've done before. But I am uh, I know I'm capable of it. And with the coaching I have, I know I'll be just fine. You know, the next time you put on a helmet and you put on a pair of shoulder pads, you're going to be in Coral Gables, man. You're going to be a Miami Hurricane. Has that kind of sunk in that you're about to get into the world of college football? Uh, yes, sir. It's coming in slowly and just knowing that my next game will be as a hurricane, but not only as a hurricane, it'll be against the University of Florida. So I know that the atmosphere there is going to be crazy. It's going to be a definitely a quick welcome to college moment for me. Derek, what's the plan? Are you an early enrollee or when, when are you heading to Coral Gables? 
Yes, sir. I'm definitely going to be enrolling early, taking advantage of the opportunity. I'll be in Miami January 14th. Wow. So you're heading down there January 14th. You'll be able to participate in spring practice. That's absolutely fantastic. Final question. It's not just you, right? It's your friends. It's your family, your parents, everybody along the way for you in this journey. What has it been like for them to experience this process with you? It's been great. I was able to take a lot of my friends and family on visits with me. I know those visits really get people more focused and show them that they're capable of great things. Just being able to see something different. But I know everyone's proud of me, and that's another thing that made me happy, just bringing a lot of people on this journey with me because I didn't get here by myself. So it's a blessing. Derek, you are an impressive young man, a terrific football player. It was fun watching you here in Northeast Florida. Best of luck down there in Coral Gables, my friend, and we'll be watching you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. National Signing Day this week, or at least the December early signing period. Bowl preparation going on, the transfer portal in full swing. As we've talked about, there is a lot going on, maybe too much this time of year. Let's talk about all of it with my friend Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News and you get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, my friend? Well, we're just trying to keep up with everything like everyone else. And, and it listen, it, it is just uh, amazing all that is going on now, uh, particularly with what, what we used to deal with this time of year, which is basically nothing. So uh, transfer portal, signing day, or signing days and uh, obviously bowl preparation uh, and, and the coaching carousel and so forth. So uh, it is, um, uh, it, again, it is fascinating, and we'll go into this in the off season. I'm going to be very curious if the coaches do something to simplify the month of December that they really need to do. Yeah, it, it, there's just too much going on. I don't think there's yes. any question about that. Brent, in 21 years of doing radio with you over three different radio stations, we've certainly seen signing day change. I got to be honest, I like the way it used to be where the Super Bowl was in February for recruit Knicks and you had all the drama in February with the one national signing day. I get it about the December early signing period. It allows kids to enroll early, um, takes the pressure off some universities as well. So I understand why they do December signing, but I'm not a fan of it, and it is completely obliterated what goes on in February. It really has. Uh, and, and frankly, the two things you're seeing right now uh, is that all the, all the real action that happens in the portal – in signing day happens in December, uh, so there's no doubt. I mean, there there will be a little bit going on in February, but it will be nothing like it is now. Uh, and I, I'm with you. I, I really would appreciate um, it going back to February. Or the thing they really need to, if you're going to have an early signing day, have it early. Uh, have it in at the end of August, first of September. Do, do do something to make it work for you uh, instead of what you're going through now. So, uh, look, and I get the benefit. You've got a lot of your class wrapped up before Christmas, uh, and I can appreciate that. Uh, but 
uh, that's really what we're seeing now is your uh, your your main guys who are getting uh, transferred and signed or in the month of December now. Yeah, and look, it's drama, right? I miss the drama. There was a time <laughs> where coming into yeah. signing day where you would have 15, 20, 25 guys that would have three, four, and five hats on the table, and you had no idea what they were going to do. And right. it was great theater. It was reality TV at its finest for recruiting fans and college football fans. And now – you know these kids commit, and there's very, very, very little drama on signing day itself. Again, I miss that a little bit. Yeah, well, I think we all do, uh, but that—that's kind of where we are. Uh, it, it's a uh, reality of it. And, and look, uh, if you can believe it or not, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, December the 20th in 2024, you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to have uh, the first round of the playoff games. Uh, so you've also, unless something changes, and I don't think it will, you think about this a minute, where we're basically going to have signing day, uh, the early signing day, and the playoff, the first round of the playoffs, within scant virtually hours of each other, Hank. Yeah, that just goes back to the fact that there's too much going on this time of year. Again, you see Brent Beard locally on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, DJ Lagway, uh, he will be tied to the hip of Billy Napier, at least for the yep. foreseeable future. Napier had to get him in. Uh, that has happened. And look, here's the bottom line. Uh, I don't know if DJ Lagway is going to be any good or not. We have certainly seen a lot of five stars that don't even see the field in college, but that's not mm -hmm. the point. From a PR perception standpoint, yes. you could lose yes. a lot of guys in this class. You absolutely could not lose DJ Lagway, and for that, Billy Napier should be commended. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it, it just simply had to happen. He was, he was a symbol of holding the – class together. Now, this class was as high as in the top five. It's now round number 10. And look, if, I, and I know in people's eyes, I get mesmerized uh, with, this, with the team rankings, but the reality is if you've got a top 10 class, uh, you've done fine. Frankly, if you've got a top 20 class, in a lot of ways, you, you have done well. Uh, but Lagway is, by the way, he was named the Max Preps National Player of the Year. Now, I don't mean the uh, the player for his state, Player of the Year. So, and look, they're in a good, good situation uh, at quarterback with Graham Mertz being able to tutor uh, Lagway. So I think that's a... Uh, that is very much a positive too, and they've been, um, and they they've done pretty well uh, in the transfer portal with Joey Slackman, the defensive tackle out of Penn, he's six four, three hundred, and also the Bridges kid, he's an Oklahoma transfer defensive back, he's six three, two hundred. So they've lost a few, and they've gained a few. But you're right, uh, Lagway is symbolic of what they had to have. It's hope. 
I mean, there's hope now with DJ Lagway. Again, whether he's any good or not, that'll be determined right. as the months yeah. and years go yeah. on. But you're right, he is a symbol of hope for the Gator class. You just wonder if Billy Napier will be around to see the uh, yeah, DJ right. Lagway flourish. Right. Uh, but he did bring him in. And look, for Gator fans that are not happy with Napier, and that's warranted, right, 11 and 14, we've talked about that. What did they want? One of the criteria for a new head coach, be a better recruiter than Jim McElwain, be a better recruiter than Dan Mullen. Well, yes. you have a better recruiter yes. than McElwain or Mullen in, in Napier, and Lagway is the highest-rated quarterback to sign with Florida in over a decade. So he has put a check mark Napier has in that column. Well, and let me also add this. What's also going to be important, one of the one of the best things uh, that Napier could do in the next few days uh, is, okay, get a solid class and make some kind of announcement uh, about, and again, he may not be able to do this because of the bowl games, but... Uh, within the next couple of weeks, shall we say, Pac, if he could announce a offensive coordinator and a special teams coordinator, uh, that hope factor would increase a little bit more. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. They certainly need to do that. Again, Brent Beard from First Coast News. You also get him right here on Hacker After Dark. Brent, bowl preparation is going on all throughout the country, certainly not in Gainesville, obviously, but uh, in other markets that we cover. And that's true in Tallahassee, but the problem is uh, they're still, I've been talking to people over there, they're nowhere near over getting snubbed for the playoff. They have guys declaring for the draft and opting out of bowl games. They have guys in the transfer portal. The college football playoff world that we live in, to me, has really, really hurt other bowl games because other bowl games seem so inconsequential, yeah. particularly yeah. for Florida State being 13-0. and And I wonder, Brent, next year with a 12-team playoff, good gracious how inconsequential some bowl games will even feel uh, more so then. That's been a real discussion this week uh, on, on a lot of other segments that I've done is what happens with these bowl games and obviously people listen to us from all over, but uh, as you think about the tax slayer Gator bowl, what happens to, to bowl games like that? I was on in Memphis yesterday and they, and that, that's the same thing that they were wondering was what happens to the Liberty bowl. And uh, it, I think some of the things being tossed around or, or, uh, or fair to think about some of them are, um, a little less practical, such as playing some of those bowl games to start the year. Uh, not sure instead of ending the year, starting the year. Uh, the other, the, the greatest thing the playoffs could do would be to get what hack about six of these bowl games, uh, like like we mentioned, Liberty, Gator, uh, and and others and get them in a rotation to where, say, let's just say the Gator Bowl has a playoff game once every, I don't know, three to five years. And if you could could get something like that going, uh, that that would salvage some of these bowl games, Uh, and and that, that would be a real help. 
unless you come up with some kind of an NIL deal that would be tied uh, to that these kids would play in the bowl uh, and be rewarded for that. I don't know. That, that That's an astute question uh, of what to do. I mean, Florida State's still determined they're going to get out of the ACC. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be tomorrow, uh, but that is on their agenda, and they're still looking for that. But as far as playing Georgia, I mean, Jaheim Bell is going to NFL. Um, Jared Burse is declared for the NFL. So is Trey Benson uh, at this point. So that, I mean, that's a great example of uh, uh, what happens to them uh, as far as losing players uh, in the bowl game with Georgia and who who they're going to have left. And again, I know folks will be very interested to know, too, that uh, who's going to be quarterback. Well, they're looking at possibility maybe of uh, of K.J. Jefferson. Uh, D.J. Ogilvie uh, has visited uh, also. Uh, so they are uh, – they're certainly not standing pad uh, as far as where they need to go. But kind of all, all this stuff at this point – uh, is tied together uh, with, uh, in the future, it's going to be very interesting. And Washington State's Kim Ward is also involved with Florida State and Miami would be a tremendous pickup. So uh, great, great question on the bowl game, Sack, because uh, uh, I love to watch them. Uh, they've got several this week, obviously more next week. But uh, all these bowl games may be done in a few years. Final moments with Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. Finally, Brent, some local news involving Georgia and quarterback Carson Beck. Obviously a state championship winner at Mandarin High School a few years ago has announced he is returning to Athens for another year. Uh, Surprised that Carson's back? And, And what do you think that means for Georgia moving forward? Well, it, it certainly gives them stability that they needed, uh, and, and that's important. I mean, I heard um, everything from the ridiculous to the sublime as far as rumors of, with, with what he wanted uh, in NIL. And, again, we probably will never know what that will be. But, uh, oh, it's, it's extremely important. He's not ready for the NFL. Uh, I mean, he had a really good year. He made some substantial improvements. But he needs to come back, uh, frankly. And, and also it's going to be very important that he is playing in the Orange Bowl. So that, that is going to help him. Now, look, Georgia's lost some guys. Jameis Dumas Johnson, their linebacker, visited Auburn recently, so he is in the transfer portal. Uh, Jahiz Haynes, um, the wide receiver, is committed to Syracuse. Uh, also... Um, the, and uh, there's been a lot said about uh, about who they're losing, but the reality is when you look when you drill down, Georgia's lost about 15 guys over the last few years, either the, the portal or the NFL, uh, and they've been and they've done well. I mean, Tad Rutledge, Warren Brinson, um, Small Munden, those guys are coming back. They've got a real good pickup in London Humphreys from Vanderbilt at receiver, and that's going to help them. Xavier and Sori went to Arkansas, so you're not going to keep all of them. 
so it's a mixed bag in and hack in a lot of ways. But uh, there, there certainly is enough talent coming back to Georgia where they will be fine, uh, particularly with the recruiting they've done over the last many years. I agree, Brent. I think they're going to be fine. That schedule next year is a bear, man. That's it brutal. Is. I mean, everybody talks no about the Gator schedule, and the Gator schedule is probably tougher, but not by much. You look at who Georgia no. plays, That's it right. is vastly different from the schedule they had this year. Uh, and, and, look, they start the season with Clemson. Um, that's even before they think about getting into uh, uh, the, um, uh, the the new schedule. And look, that game uh, they go to Texas, uh, and, the, and that game is going to be mammoth uh, to say the least. So you're right about that. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the all the people who complained about Georgia's schedule, uh, and, and look, I, I, I won't go into this, but just safe to say. Their schedule this year didn't help them, did it? Uh, they, uh, I told some people about this yesterday who would know uh, in, 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 in some beat writers, and they made the point, and I think it's a good one, that it would have helped them last year if they had played Oklahoma, but they did not, that that game didn't come to fruition. Uh, but their, their schedule, really, by the time they got to Alabama, uh, that hurt them because Alabama had played Texas and some tougher foes uh, in the SEC, and that made a difference. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You get him weekly right here as well on Hacker After Dark. Brent, have a Merry Christmas, my friend. Certainly appreciate you every week with us here on Hacker After Dark. You're a good friend. Love having you on, and we'll do it again very soon. We'll look forward to that, and and I'm just guessing that uh, that the young man in the house – uh, will be well taken care of by Mr. Claus when he comes down the chimney. Am I correct? There, there is no doubt. Santa Claus <laughs> is on his way, and Little Hack is certainly anticipating his arrival, no question. <laughs> uh, Hack, appreciate you, brother. Have a, uh, have a great Christmas, and we'll look forward to next time. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Buccaneers on Sunday at 4 o'clock. Of course, you'll hear the game right here on 1010XL. The Jaguars at 8-6, and six, Tampa Bay 7-7 seven and seven in what all of a sudden is a very big NFL game in the state of Florida. With that, let me welcome in Garrett Podell of CBSSports.com. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Garrett, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Ryan. Hope you and the crew are having a great lead up to the holidays. And and this is this is one of the best times of the football calendar, Ryan. We've got it down to the final three, four games of the year. We're starting to see a little separation, or in the case of the AFC South, not really at all. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting what's happened. Uh, The Jaguars, what, three weeks ago were on top of the world. In fact, I think there was like a six-hour period there where at 8-3, and the Jaguars were the number one seed in the AFC. And now here they sit after a three-game losing streak, Garrett, 8-6, and still in first place in the division by about a shoestring. And uh, they got problems, man. There's no question. In totality, your thoughts on where the Jaguars stand right now? I think it's it's tough to really evaluate the team. Is it a team problem? Is it an injury problem? I think first and foremost, you look at Trevor Lawrence, who 
as five giveaways in the last two games, which are the two games he's played since suffering an ankle injury against the Bengals three weeks ago. And uh, I, I really think that the Jags are still in a great position to win the division. Yes, they've lost three games in a row. They've all been against some tough AFC North opponents in the resurgent Bengals, uh, the Cleveland Browns, who have the number one total defense in football, and the Baltimore Ravens, who are the number one seed in the AFC. So while you look at the tape and you say, man, it just looks brutal out there, when you, when you look at it in the context of who they're playing, I, I feel like there's you know some optimism to be had there. And I think one of the things that Jacksonville can at least hang their hat on is down the stretch run of the season, they, they've got some AFC South and some NFC South squads coming up. And, you know, the Titans, once again, at the end of the year, that's always a slugfest. That's a game that you would think that Jacksonville should do well in. They've got the worst team in football, the Carolina Panthers, second to last week of the year. And then the resurgent Buccaneers this upcoming week. I, I think that's still a slate that you look at if you're a Jacksonville fan. You can say, hey, yes, the last few weeks have been sloppy, but this is a lot different than playing some of the AFC North's best. Garrett Padel, CBSSports.com. Garrett, you look at Trevor Lawrence, right? And, and, you know, it's complicated now because he's in concussion protocol. We don't exactly know what his status is going to be for Sunday in Tampa Bay. But in totality, he's coming under a little bit of criticism here, and it's kind of a split fan base. Some people want to criticize him, uh, not get rid of him, obviously, but, but I think criticism is fair, and I'm in that camp. And then some fans that listen to my show will just blast you for criticizing Trevor. I mean, it is unbelievable how sensitive they are to any critique of Trevor Lawrence. You cover the league nationally, man. What do you see and what have you seen this year from Trevor Lawrence? I think it's certainly shades of gray, Ryan. I think when you look at the last few weeks or even last Monday, you know, two lost fumbles, bad. The red zone sequence at the end of the half where he doesn't throw the ball into the end zone or throw it to a place where a receiver can get out of bounds, time runs out, they go to the half without any points, that's really bad. But I think it's also important to look at it in context. And one of the key contextual points I'm seeing with Trevor Lawrence is he's missing Christian Kirk in a big way. There was a lot of, uh, you know, hand-wringing a few years ago when Jacksonville signed Kirk to a four-year, $72 million contract, $18 million a year that made him one of the highest paid wide receivers in the NFL at the time a few years back because he had never registered 1,000 yards in a season in his tenure with the Arizona Cardinals. He comes over to Jacksonville 2021, links up with Trevor Lawrence, boom, 1,000 yards. And he, at least this year prior to Kirk's injury, he looked like Lawrence's safety blanket on third down and have to have it kind of throws, whether it was second and long, third down, red zone. It just appeared that Lawrence was looking to Kirk more than anybody else. So I think the loss of Kirk can't be overstated when you evaluate his play. And then also I think that, yes, there's absolutely room for him to be better. But I think you'll see that um, – the further he gets from the ankle injury and the concussion, I'm not sure how that's going to shake out. But um, he looked a little bit more mobile on Monday than he did a few weeks ago. So I, I think it's – yes, you'd like to see him play a higher level considering how he left last year 
almost beating Patrick Mahomes in the eventual Super Bowl City uh, champion Chiefs. But I think uh, I think you can look at it from both lenses without getting too lathered up about pitchforks either way. Well, Garrett, the interesting thing, you mentioned the Kirk injury, now Zay Jones with a hamstring. I mean, they're starting to run out of bodies. What was thought to be a pretty deep room is now all of a sudden going to be very thin for the next week or two until hopefully the Jaguars could make the playoffs and potentially get both Jones and Kirk back. So that brings us to Calvin Ridley. Look, I think Evan Ingram has held up his end of the bargain. ETN, they're just not giving him the ball for whatever reason. But Ridley's got to get involved. You know, Ridley's a free agent. All the expectation on Calvin Ridley coming into this year. And I don't want to say disappointment yet, Garrett, but we're trending that way with Calvin Ridley this year, are we not? Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment, Ryan. It just you look at you know, the production, the first week of the season, eight catches for one-on-one and a touchdown. You're like, all right, here we go. This is this is what we were hoping for. And then, you know, to not have another 100-yard performance until weeks later in the win against the Buffalo Bills, I, I understand uh, why you'd want to label a disappointment overall entering this point. But I was encouraged um, at – he seems to have a little bit more of a rapport – in the tight window throws from Lawrence. He had what I thought was a touchdown and what the ESPN broadcast thought was a touchdown, uh, determined that he didn't fully get his thigh in in the back of the end zone. I thought that play illustrated a strong trust that Lawrence has for Ridley in that tight window situation. And I think that that's a play, even though it didn't result in points, that you would hope that the two of them can build upon going down the final few weeks of the regular season and most likely, in my opinion, it's the postseason. But, yeah, you definitely want a little bit more from someone who was being billed as a wide receiver one coming off uh, one-year suspension. I still think, as we were talking about earlier, that Kirk is that number one receiver for this team. But, like you said, running out of bodies, it's, it's time for Ridley to show that uh, he still has a little bit of that 2020 form in which he was a borderline Pro Bowl player with the Atlanta Falcons. A couple more for Garrett Padell of CBS Sports dot com covering the national football league garrett you look at the opponent for the jaguars on sunday the tampa bay buccaneers life moves at you pretty fast a month ago todd bowles was on the hot seat baker mayfield wasn't the answer and tampa was going nowhere and now all of a sudden tampa's seven and seven first place in the nfc south one of the hottest teams in the nfc and an awful lot of confidence for the buccaneers coming into this football game yeah, the NFL's funny like that, Ryan. You never really know when a team can find its groove and turn it all the way around. Yeah, the Buccaneers have won three in a row, so starting four and seven. According to our CBS Sports sports line uh, projection models, they've now got a 76.2% chance to make the playoffs. Baker Mayfield coming off just uh, being the second visiting quarterback at Lambeau Field ever to have a perfect passer rating through for 381, four touchdowns, no picks in the win against the Packers last week in week 15. Uh, some of that I think you attribute to uh, Joe Barry, the Packers defensive coordinator and his insistence on playing soft zone coverage in almost any situation, but you have to give your uh, some credit to Mayfield for routinely shredding that zone coverage with over the middle throws to Godwin and, and Evans and, uh, I, I think Tampa's done a really great job of maximizing some of Baker's strengths, which are those uh, in-between-the-numbers throws to uh, his bigger receivers like Mike Evans. And uh, I think that's a tough 
test, and I think is the toughest game left of the three that Jacksonville is going to face this season. But um, I, I, I think you you look at the Green Bay game that Baker and the Buccaneers had last week as a little bit of an aberration given the struggles that the Packers are having defensively. So uh, the bottom line is, can Jacksonville pressure Baker Mayfield and with Josh Allen along the defensive line, Trevon Walker start to play better? I feel like that'll be where the game is really won. You know, you look at Indianapolis and Houston, and I've labeled the Colts as just a pain in the butt. That's what they are. They're a pain in the butt. They're not great. They have a lot of injuries, but, man, they fight and they battle and they don't go away. And now all of a sudden they're 8-6. and six. They're right in the middle of this thing. Houston – you thought was done was done after all the injuries. They go into Nashville and win a hard-fought game in overtime. What's complicated, Garrett, is it's tied. You know, all three teams are eight and six. Uh, the Jaguars do own the tiebreakers, and the Colts and the Texans play each other week eighteen. So what I'm telling Jaguar fans: go two and one, get to ten and seven, and then at that point, that would force either Indy or Houston to run the table from here on out to catch you. And, of course, one of them cannot do that because they play each other week 18. I, I think that makes a lot of sense, Ryan. I think outside the Buccaneers game, you have, you know, struggling Bryce Young and the Carolina Panthers and the Tennessee Titans who uh, it's unclear what Will Levis's leg injury situation is after what appeared to be a gruesome one uh, at the end of uh, that game in Nashville this past weekend. But, yeah, your point, the Colts, winners of five of six since starting three and five, they're – Five and two in games outside of Indianapolis. Their their brand of ball travels, which you can't say that about some teams in the NFL. I mean, Gardner Minshew, no matter who it is, Michael Pittman went out in the first half of concussion, still finding ways to move the chains and shred defenses. I thought he played phenomenally against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Saturday this past weekend. And I think it just comes down to you look at what's happened with the Philadelphia Eagles this year. Shane Steichen, who was their offensive coordinator a year ago when they made the Super Bowl, now calling plays and his head coach in Indy. I think he's got to get some coach of the year buzz because he's done an incredible job despite losing Anthony Richardson early in the season. Jonathan Taylor's had injuries and this offense keeps humming and they just keep moving along and stringing together W's. Garrett, when you look at the Jaguars, the Texans, and the Colts, yeah, not to put words in your mouth, but you seem to be leaning Jacksonville. How does this division play out, in your opinion, over the next three weeks? I, I am leaning Jacksonville, and it's just because of the point you mentioned earlier, Ryan, the schedule. When you look at you, – you laid out the scenario, two and one, um, that seems pretty doable for Jacksonville. And then let's, let's, let's take a look at the schedules for the other teams. You look at Indy, and – their final few games at the Atlanta Falcons. Who knows what that is? They have some great weapons, but Arthur Smith, their head coach, seems to not want to utilize their most talented players uh, in their game plan. The Las Vegas Raiders week to week can be incredibly challenging, as they showed uh, against the Wilting Chargers team on Thursday Night Football a couple weeks back, and then against the Houston Texans the final week of the season. I feel like Raiders and Texans to end the season for the Colts, those two games aren't necessarily gimmies. And then you look at Houston's schedule. They play the number one total defense in the NFL and Miles Garrett and the Cleveland Browns this coming week. And then Titans and Colts in those next two. And they barely escaped Nashville with a win this past week. And that Colts game, I think that's going to be really bitter, fierce down to the very end in week 18. So to me, I look at the schedules and I say Jacksonville's got the most straightforward path, in my opinion. 
And I think at the end of the day, um, they have the best roster, best group of talent of those teams, at least of the players that are still standing at this time. Garrett Padel of CBSSports.com. Garrett, final question. You know, you go back two decades or so, Brady and the Patriots, Manning and the Colts, Mahomes and the Chiefs, Roethlisberger and the Steelers. There was always that dominant team in the AFC. There was that team that you said, all right, they are the clear favorite in the postseason this year. I don't know if we have that this year. I mean, I could see Baltimore, Kansas City, Miami, uh, if Jacksonville gets healthy, maybe an outlier, Buffalo, the way they're playing. I mean, the AFC playoffs are going to be nuts. I agree. I agree with you. I think the two that I have circled, I mean, this isn't breaking news here or anything like that. It's it's the teams that are currently the top two seeds in the AFC in Baltimore and Miami. I think Miami, when Tyreek Hill is on the field, now he's struggling with a leg injury right now, and that's got him questionable. If, he's hel- if he can be healthy by the time the postseason comes, Miami's as dangerous as anybody. And as for the Ravens, I think they're the most complete team in the AFC. Defensively, a full year of Roquan Smith in the middle of that defense has been wonderful for them. Safety Kyle Hamilton, who was a first-round pick of theirs uh, recently, has been phenomenal. He's been great in pass coverage, great coming up against the run. He's been a multidimensional weapon for them defensively. And uh, they're getting career year from guys that you wouldn't necessarily expect, like uh, Matabike is up to 12, 13 sacks this season. And that's just on defense. Offensively, I love what Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator who came over from the University of Georgia this offseason, has done in revamping their passing game and especially the development of tight end Isaiah Likely, who flashed a couple times against Jacksonville uh, last week. I think if I had to say who's the favorite entering the AFC playoffs as we sit here entering week 16, I'd say Baltimore because I like how they play ball both sides. And then if it comes down to a close game, Justin Tucker is going to be a Hall of Famer, in my opinion, is their kicker. I really like Baltimore. Miami with Tyree Kill is very dangerous. But uh, as, as you've said, you never really know. I mean, Cleveland's down there lurking at the five seed with the best defense, even though they're rotating through quarterbacks and Buffalo at eight and six. They're not even in the playoffs yet based on tiebreakers. So but I would assume that they would eventually sink in by the end of the year. Hey, Garrett, 30 seconds. Does anybody beat San Francisco in the NFC? No, I, I don't think so. They are stacked. Uh, Their offense has weapons at every level, offensive line, quarterback. I think their MVP is Christian McCaffrey, not Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy said this himself, and I actually wrote an article for CBSSports.com detailing all of the reasons why Christian McCaffrey is the 49ers MVP. And uh, no, I don't think Dallas or Philly can overtake them. I just think San Francisco is a bad matchup for both of those teams and is a bad matchup for almost everybody in the NFL, which is why I'm really excited for Christmas Day because the Ravens and the 49ers will face off. That's going to be a phenomenal game of football. I don't know if your family likes watching football on Christmas Day, but if they can put up with it, that is a game to circle. Yeah, the NFL schedule makers did a good job. There are a ton of really good games coming up this weekend with playoff implications all over the place and certainly none bigger than Baltimore and San Francisco. Garrett Padel of CBSSports.com. Garrett, I know you're busy, man. Thank you very much. Have a happy holidays, and we'll dial your phone again around playoff time. That sounds great, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. Have a happy holidays and Merry Christmas.
And thank you to Garrett Podell of CBSSports.com for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. My big takeaway of the evening. Well, I think the Jaguars know how important this game is on Sunday. The Jaguars currently do not list anybody as out. Now, there are a number of questionable guys. I would highly doubt Zay Jones plays. I'm actually surprised he's listed as questionable. I would doubt he goes. We know Christian Kirk and Cam Robinson cannot play. They're both on IR. But if you can play this week, you need to play. This is an enormous game. If you can give it a go, it's time to give it a go. Of course, Trevor Lawrence, it'll come down to concussion protocol. It's not a toughness issue necessarily. He's going to have to pass a series of tests, and we'll probably know by tomorrow. Uh, but it is trending in the right direction as he was out there practicing earlier today. And as you heard head coach Doug Peterson say earlier today that he thinks it's a better chance than a coin flip that Trevor Lawrence gets out there and plays. Boy, Trevor Lawrence at this point is like Michael Myers, right? He's like Jason Voorhees. He just you get you knock him down, you think he's gonna be gone, and he just keeps getting up, whether it's a knee, an ankle, a concussion now it looks like. He's just gonna keep getting out there. Trevor Lawrence is one tough dude. There is absolutely no question about that. And as I've told you guys, look, I told you last night, I think Jacksonville is going to win the game. I've thought that all week, whether it's C.J. Beathard or Trevor Lawrence. I think Jacksonville is going to find a way to have more points than Tampa Bay at the end of Sunday, and I think they're going to find a way to win the game and Dave Campo and I will, that's will have a fifth quarter for you on Christmas Eve, two hours after the Jaguars and the Buccaneers go final. Well, that'll just about do it for what has been a very busy Friday evening and a very busy week here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Garrett Podell, CBSSports.com. Appreciate him stopping by. Thank you to Brent Beard. You see him locally on First Coast News. You also get him weekly right here on Hacker After Dark. My buddy Zig Fercasi, Sirius XM NFL Radio. Stop by to talk Jaguars, AFC South, and more. And Tyler Sullivan, who does a great job covering the NFL for CBS Sports. Stop by, and we appreciate all those gentlemen taking time out for us here on Hacker After Dark. Now, we're off on Monday for Christmas, obviously, on Christmas Day. Next week, it is the pairing that you absolutely cannot wait for, I'm sure. With all the vacations going on next week, myself and Rick Ballou, that's right, end of the night, and Hacker After Dark will combine, ladies and gentlemen, and you will get myself and Rick Ballou noon to 3 next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. My gracious, what a week that should be. Looking forward to teaming up with Ballou next week uh, to bring you uh, great content leading in to New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Friday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark, on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific 
remainder of your Friday evening. Have a very happy holidays and a Merry Christmas. And I will talk to you on the fifth quarter Sunday evening and then again with Rick Ballou beginning at noon on Tuesday. Until then, good night, Jacksonville. Daddy.